0: Good to see you this morning, and uh, you know it occurred to me, sitting over there this morning, today, uh, really next week marks kind of supposedly our first Sunday back to mostly normal. We'll have full kids ministry next Sunday, which will be pretty exciting, and um, just, yeah, God continues to be with us through this time, doesn't he? And we're grateful for that, and uh, of course, we're still uh, praying for him um, to bring healing to people who are sick and uh, to quench everything that's going on. And, uh, but we know he's faithful through, a, through all of it with us, and we can be grateful for that. Uh, you know, I wonder, though, as we get started this morning, I have a question for you. What amazes you? Like, think for a second. What are the things that, like, you're amazed by? If, if I could juggle a bunch of bowling balls, would you be amazed? If I could, Dave would be. Thanks, Dave. Uh, If if, uh, somebody had incredible intellect, would you be amazed by them? Uh, Maybe it's some video you saw on YouTube of some guy making some crazy trick shot, bouncing it off the side of his house and off the barn and making it from 50 yards away. What are you amazed by? What amazes you? You would be thinking about that this morning could be a scenic view, just God's creation might amaze you as well. But you know, in the New Testament, people were often amazed by Jesus. They were often amazed with the things that he did, with his wisdom, with the way that he spoke, with uh, the things that he taught, the way that he healed people, miracles he performed. They were amazed with Jesus, But, you know, I wonder how many of those people were actually amazed not just with what Jesus did, but with Jesus himself, with really who he is. You know, uh, today, my hope is that as you would leave in your heart, uh, you would uh, sense this call to be more and more amazed, not with all the things that Jesus might do for you, but with who he is. Amazed by him and with him because you know it's all about jesus i mean ultimately all of those things that he did all the miracles he performed all the people he healed all the the wisdom with which he taught the entire word of god this entire book points to jesus christ Uh, time is counted around that man's life And, and it's all about him are you amazed not just with what he did and with what he does, but with who he is. With that in mind, um, I'm gonna pray, but we're continuing our series called Uncertain Certainty today. We're gonna wrap it up. Um, And uh, we've just been in a season and continue in one where things are uncertain, but we know Jesus is certain. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can trust him, and even by faith, even if maybe our faith is uncertain today, We can trust him. That's what we're gonna talk about. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is sure, that he is solid. As we sang, he is a firm foundation upon which we can build our life. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you work in me and through me, even speak to me and teach me as I teach and proclaim your word. Um, And for all of us, Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you you would change us that you would enamor us with who Jesus is and with a desire to trust him by faith and uh, live a life honoring to him, all of course by your grace. And it's in his name we pray, amen. We're gonna be in Mark chapter six today. And so if you've got your Bible, if you've got an app, you can turn there with me, Mark chapter six, and uh, it'll be on the screen as well. Mark chapter six starts like this: uh, He Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Now, let's just I'm just going to kind of slowly unpack each verse a little bit this morning. Okay, so he, he went away from there. What question does that raise maybe in your mind as you're thinking about this account? Where's there? Where was he? What do you mean he went away from there? Well. If you would read uh, more of Mark, you find out in Mark's account, back in chapter four, Jesus was in a place called Capernaum. And from Capernaum, he sent out, he he set off, excuse me, with his disciples across the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a giant lake. It's a big lake. It's not, it's really, that's what it is. And he sets off and a storm comes up. And in Mark chapter four, Jesus calms the storm. And then he gets to the other side. And he lands in this place called the Decapolis. And as soon as he gets off the boat, uh, there's this demon-possessed man who meets him on the shore. Uh, The demoniac, sometimes he's referred to as. And uh, Jesus heals him. And he, he restores this man's life. And then he sends him out as a missionary back into his town to tell everybody of all the good things that Jesus did for him. Kind of like we sang this morning, I sing of all that you've done for me. That was that guy's mission. And then uh, Jesus comes back across the lake, comes back to Capernaum, and when he gets back to Capernaum, he gets off the boat, and again, people are waiting to talk to him. This, in th- this case, uh, the end of Mark chapter five, it's a guy named Jairus. And, and Jairus, his daughter, was incredibly sick. And he said, Jesus, you gotta come heal my daughter right now. She's gonna die. And Jesus goes and heals his daughter, and he also heals a woman who was bleeding and had been incredibly sick for decades And now we pick it up in chapter six. All of those events lead up to this one where we read that Jesus went from there. In other words, he goes from Capernaum and he goes to his hometown. Do you know what Jesus' hometown was? What's your hometown? Some of you, your hometown is Milford, maybe New Paris, maybe Syracuse, maybe Leesburg, Warsaw, I don't know. My hometown, I I live in Milford, but my hometown is a little town in Iowa, not unlike Milford, Northwest Iowa, that's, that's, still, that's what I would still call my hometown. So if this was me, I'd be going back to Iowa. Jesus' hometown was a little town, you probably have heard of it if you don't know it, called Nazareth. And Jesus leaves Capernaum, And he would have probably traveled about this route because there was a major trade route that went through there and and back to his hometown of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a tiny little agricultural town uh, carved into the side of a mountain, kind of a cliff, big hill, and a rocky area. And this town, by most accounts, it was probably two to 400 people, but at the very most, 500 people. Small town. That's where Jesus grew up. And for a while, he's kind of based his ministry out of Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. But in this case, he's now going back to Nazareth. And as we read, he he goes from there, came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. His disciples follow him. And that's just like any teacher, any rabbi in the New Testament, that's what they would do. They'd go about life. And wherever they went, the people who were learning from him and following them and being taught by them would just follow them to wherever they were going. So they follow Jesus back to his hometown to, to see his life and to learn from him. And, but you know, this isn't Jesus' first trip home. It's not his first trip back home. We actually have an account where he went back um, to his hometown earlier in his ministry. And I'm gonna read about it to you from Luke chapter four. It won't be on the screen, but uh, you're welcome to look at it with me. Uh, starting in verse 16 of Luke chapter four. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. So Jesus' pattern throughout his life was, uh, he he was a devout follower of the Father. He, he, He went to church, in other words. And he gets up and reads scripture. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where this was written. Here's what Jesus reads that day in church. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This was written like 700 years prior to this by the prophet Isaiah. And you've probably maybe even heard some of those verses around Christmas time. They're read often because they're prophesying about Jesus. And now Jesus is the one reading it. And he reads it and he rolled up the scroll. He handed it back to the attendant and he sat down and all eyes in the room looked at him intently. And then he began to speak to them. He said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Well, it goes on. Luke says, everyone spoke well of him. They were amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. And man, how can this be? This is, isn't this Joseph's son? We knew his dad. He's a carpenter. He swung a hammer for a living. That was, I remember him in diapers. I remember this kid. Man, this is incredible. And so then Jesus, uh, in response to that, he says, you know, uh, one day you will undoubtedly quote this proverb to me. You'll tell me, physician, heal yourself meaning uh, do miracles in your hometown like those that you did in Capernaum. But I tell you that no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. And he goes on and and teaches some other things from the Old Testament and how people have rejected God and that they're going to reject him. And you might be speaking well of me now, but in the end, you're gonna reject me. And they became furious with him. And uh, when they heard this, imagine this, you haven't been home for a long time and you go back to your hometown. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him. I wonder what would I have to say for you guys all to jump up and mob me this morning. That was, I'm I'm not gonna try, but that was Jesus in this case going back home, right? And they, they forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built, Luke writes. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and he went on his way. Then Jesus went back to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught in the synagogue every Sabbath day. So on Jesus' first trip home, it wasn't so pleasant, they tried to kill him. Suppose he stayed away for a little while. I don't know if I'm gonna go back right away. I might give him a little time to cool down. And now he goes back, but this time he's taking his disciples with him and uh, demonstrating to them that he was a rabbi. So he went from there, he came to his own town, his disciples followed him. We keep reading in verse two. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And, and so the day of worship, it would be like a Sunday for us. And, and many who heard him were astonished. You know, the people had been astonished before at him and they'd been astonished at his teaching in Capernaum if we'd go back. This is a little bit different astonishment though, we're gonna find out. They're saying, where did this man get these sayings? What's the wisdom given to him? How how are such mighty works done by his hands? It's not really the same astonishment that had been in Capernaum, which if we had time we'd go look at, but this was an astonishment like, really? Like astonished that he would have the gall to get up and teach in front of them? Who who is he? Who does he think he is? Well, they go on then in verse three and they go, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? In other words, we've known this, this guy since he was a toddler. Who does he think he is? He doesn't have any special training. What's he, what What in the world? Instead of uh, being amazed as other were and others were and and. Uh, Astonished at how God would raise up someone from their town to be so wise and such a great teacher they instead had jealousy towards him and in derision. You know, uh, just looking at this a minute, this is, is not this the carpenter? Uh, This is where we find out Jesus was likely a carpenter. That was his day job. And the reason we know that, Matthew, uh, the other time we read about it, Matthew says that Jesus was the son of a carpenter, and the, the role of a, of a father in these days, like according uh, to Jewish teaching, they, they really had three primary things they needed to do. Number one, they needed to uh, uh, teach their son or their daughter scripture, so they understood the Bible. Two, uh, they needed to teach, especially their sons, a trade so that they could provide for their future family. And then three, help them find a wife so that they could have a family. That was, just, that was kind of ingrained in their culture. That's what they did. So mm-hmm. saying that he's the son of a carpenter, and now that he is a carpenter, he was just following in the footsteps of his earthly dad, his adopted daddy, Joe, who swung a hammer for a living. And as a carpenter in a place that didn't have a lot of wood, it's likely he also did a little stonework as well, being a carpenter. But he worked with his hands. That's the big idea. But notice how they discredit him. That's really what they're doing. Isn't this the carpenter? Really, the carpenters giving the sermon today? The mechanic? The factory worker? What? Now, come on. That's what, that's what they're saying. That's really what they're saying. And I wonder, do you ever do that, though? Do you ever discount people before they even get a chance to speak? Or you just have maybe certain judgments about them all? they're not very educated. Who are they to speak about this? Or they're too educated. They're educated beyond their intelligence. I'm not gonna trust what they have to say. They have no connection with reality. Or they're too old. Or they're, now they're too young. Really, it's just kind of a sanitized way of saying they're not like me, so I'm not gonna trust them. And that's what they did with Jesus here. But but really, uh, saying he was a carpenter, that skepticism uh, isn't, the primary one. It's really the next line. The, is not this, the carpenter, the son of Mary? You're like, why is that show their derision or skepticism of him? Well, in this culture, it was a, it was a patronymic culture, a paternal culture where you gained your identity from your father, especially for men. So you would be known as, I would be known in that day as Josh, the son of Anthony. That was my dad's name. And you get your identity that way. It's not unlike our culture, right? I mean, what's your last name? Chances are, 90% of us, we've received our last name from where? From our dad. Or maybe our adopted dad. or That's most likely. Or granddad. And it would have been the same in this way. And so now, though, instead of recognizing like they did the first time he came to Nazareth, that he was the son of Joseph, now, no, he's the son of Mary, Jesus was referred to basically then as uh, the son of a woman, and this was not normal in their culture. Uh, It was most certainly insulting. There's a similar insulting phrase that we would use in our culture that I won't quote, but it was an insult implied to characterize who Jesus was. And when you understand that Mary and Joseph, this was their hometown too. Remember when, uh, when Jesus was born 30 years prior to all this? Uh, were they married yet? No. Small town, less than 500 people? Do you suppose people talked? Sure, she's a virgin. Sure. Yep. I mean, uh, they continued. Uh, Jesus and his family would have continued to face that, uh, that scrutiny from the people there. And um, so they're just discounting him. And, and isn't he the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? We know those guys and, and his sisters, they're all living. He's, his sisters are living here with us. Do you realize Jesus had little brothers? He had little brothers and sisters. I mean, at least two sisters, because it's plural. Chances are they're married, so they're not listed here. That's why their names probably aren't listed. But two of his brothers, James and Jude, Judas, wrote books of the Bible. So Mary wasn't a virgin and a perpetual virgin, as some might teach, but uh, she and Joseph had, had kids after Jesus and a family of their own. But here's the point. The, the point is that they're just like, we know this guy. Who does he think he is teaching? I don't know. I don't know. If, yeah. they, they just had the derision towards him. That was their amazement, their astonishment. And they took offense at him. Well, we keep reading in verse four. Jesus then, he says to them, just like he had said previously in his first visit, he said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. This was a common phrase in Jesus' day. It, it might be said like this today that familiarity breeds contempt. That, that what you're familiar with, you just, uh, it, it can... Breed either contempt or just uh, maybe a lack of interest in your heart. makes me wonder for, for you, some of us, you, you've come to church your entire life and you ever just become uh, too familiar with the gospel to where it's, it's lost a sense of its power, so familiar with Jesus and the stories about who he is and oh yeah, that's Jesus and I know he did this and he healed people and he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, I know all the stories yeah, I believe in him. Jesus loves me. This I know, right? That it's so familiar that you've lost the awe of really who he is, the amazement with who he is. It becomes so familiar. And we all can tend to fall into that trap at times. And they were so familiar with him. They just didn't trust him. He narrows down the circle as he goes. He's without honor except in his hometown. And In other words, he's not without honor. He always gets honor everywhere except at home where he's known, among his relatives, in his own household. Uh, Some of you have maybe experienced this. Maybe you've become a follower of Jesus. You've become a Christian and your family has now kind of turned on you. And maybe you come home to your hometown and you're with your family and you just realize they, they don't get it. They think that you think you're better than them when reality is that by becoming a Christian, you recognize I'm, I'm as jacked up as anybody and I need a savior. I need Jesus to change me and to fix me. But they think you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? Like you've just taken this church thing way too far, man. And Jesus experienced that. If you've ever experienced that, Jesus knows it well. Jesus knows it well. So he gets to his own hometown. Uh, they didn't try to kill him this time, but they weren't pleased with him. And Jesus tells them these things. And then in verse five, we read this, that Jesus could do no mighty work there. He, he couldn't do a mighty work there. It says he did a few things, except he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them, uh, but he could do no mighty mighty work there. I think this points a little bit to Jesus' humanity in one sense, but I think there's something else for us to understand here. When I say it points to his humanity, so many other religions would teach that if you're good enough, if you do enough right things, that you could become like a God. (laughs) Some even teach that you'd get your own planet. Not kidding, they do. But Christianity is unique in that it says that Jesus is God, he is eternal, and it's not that you, as a human being, could become God. No, it's that, God in, became human, he put on flesh and he dwelt among us and he lived the life we could never live and he died the death that I deserve on the cross for my sin. Not only that, but he rose from the grave so that I could be with him for eternity. That's incredible. But Jesus lives his life on the earth, he, he doesn't quit being God, but he adds humanity to his deity. Get your mind on that for a moment. But I believe that in his humanity, then he didn't ever like you know pull out his God card and say, "Oh, I'm God," and do. It, it, the Holy Spirit worked through him. He never let go of his deity, but the Holy Spirit worked through him perfectly. And so, at this point, when he can't do a mighty work, something uh, there, there's something here where the Holy Spirit uh, and, and the Trinity as a whole just, it's it, it's not going to happen. Jesus isn't going to perform a mighty work. But why? That's the big question. Why? Well. I, I think we see the answer in verse six. Let's keep reading. It says that after Jesus was there, he couldn't do a mighty work and he marveled. In other words, he was amazed because of their unbelief or their lack of faith. Your translation might actually say amazed. That's another way to translate that word. He was amazed at their unbelief, at their lack of faith, their uncertain faith. Uh, You know, we're going to talk about this in a moment, but Jesus is only said to be amazed two times in the Bible, and this is one of them, at the lack of faith of the people in his hometown. And I think this points to why he couldn't do a mighty work. And here's here's what I would say, and stick with me. I think it's because God's power is unleashed by faith. Let me say that again. God's power is unleashed by faith. Uh, Why do people put a big powerful dog on a leash to restrain its power, right? And then uh, when you want to incorporate that dog's power or use it, you take it off the leash and you say, sick and then they go. Well, in a sense, faith is what unleashes God's power. So when I put my faith in Jesus, that unleashes the power of God to save me and to change me and to make me new. And the Holy Spirit's like, sick him, I got him. He's mine. He's trusted me. Faith unleashes God's power to save you, uh, to to restore relationships in your life, to to heal you, to, to do all those things. Faith is what takes the leash off of God's power. And in this case, he was, marve- he was amazed. He-, he marveled at their unbelief, at their lack of faith. He could do no mighty work. In a sense, there was a leash on Jesus' power to be able to show himself to them. Sadly, uh, I think oftentimes we tend to think that something else could unleash God's power instead of faith. You know, like uh, going to church If I go to church, then maybe God will love me and uh, he'll answer my prayer and all my wildest dreams will come true. And no, that doesn't unleash God's power. Not according to scripture. Uh, What about good works? If I do enough good things, maybe God's power will be unleashed in my life. or, Or not maybe good works, but just a lack of really bad works, a moral life. Or religion, going through the motions, doing all the right things, but none of those things, according to this book, and God wrote it all down, None of those things unleash God's power but faith. See, God says that it's faith, Ephesians chapter two. It's by grace, in other words, you don't deserve it, it's by grace you have been saved through, what's the word here? Faith. Faith. It's a gift of God, It's, it's not a result of works, it's not anything you do that unleashes God's power, it's totally his grace and you just simply believing and putting your faith in him, in Jesus Christ. Why? Because if it was based on us, I would boast. Everyone in this room, if we thought we had something to do with how good we are, we'd just be walking around talking about how good we are. That's why many people are turned away from the church because too many have failed to recognize God's grace, that it's all about Jesus, that it's not about us, and and somehow get it in their mind, because we are all messed up, that somehow we're better. than No, 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 no. It's all grace through faith so that no one can boast. Well, if faith unleashes God's power to save, God's power to work, it it will hinder his ability to do that as well, a lack of faith will. That's what happens here in Nazareth. It's not that Jesus could not do a mighty work, it's that he would not. He He could not because he would not, because of their faithlessness. God desires to respond, friends, to your faith, to build your faith and your trust in him. He wants us to be a people of faith. So what is faith? Well, just really quickly, let's get, let me give you a definition that I've shared before. Faith, it starts like this. I'll give you a four-part definition, right? Number one, some of you, if you know it, you can say with me, faith is believing God's word. It's believing god's word in other words what's written down in this book it's saying i I believe that i believe that's true (laughs) i believe that jesus is god eternally who put on flesh who lived a perfect life a sinless life who died on the cross in my place because i deserve to die for my sin it's believing it but it's more than this because guess what jesus says even the demons believe even the demons believe that to be true. So it's not just necessarily simple belief. Faith encompasses more than just a a mental assent. It's also acting upon God's word. So it's it's believing it and then doing something with it. And got to be careful here because what I'm not saying is that somehow by you doing something that God is pleased with you and saves you. No, it's all all his grace. It's all what Jesus has done, not, not, not what we do. But true biblical faith, it doesn't just sit in my head. It it, it works its way out in my life, and I act upon it. So when the Bible says to become a Christian, I have to repent and trust Jesus, it means I put my faith in Jesus. It's not just, yeah, I think that's true. Jesus loves me. This I know. No, it's like, Jesus, I I trust you. Here's my life. I yield to you. It's believing God's word and acting upon it. Now, you ever read something or God impresses something on your heart and uh, you're like, oh, I know I should do that. I believe that. And I know I should act on it, but I don't really want to. I don't feel like it. See, real biblical faith, it believes God's word. It acts upon it no matter how I feel. Even, even when I, I think, boy, I don't know if I want to do that because then they're not going to like me. They're not going to be happy with me. I don't know if I wanna say that even though I know it's true and I believe it and I would say it with grace, but I don't know, I don't feel like it. Or I just, I don't like them today, so I don't wanna tell them that. It's believing God's word and acting on it no matter how I feel. Well, why? Because God promises a good result. He promises. He promises, friends, that if, if you would put your faith in him, you would trust him, if you put, put that into action, he promises a good result. First off, to, to save you, that you'd be with him forever. And by the way, he keeps all of his promises, everyone. So in my mind this week, with some of the events this week, uh, those of you who would know Andy Kreider. Uh, Andy was a guy who uh, believed God's word. And if you come to the memorial service on Tuesday, you'll see this, he he believed God's word and he he acted upon it, he put his faith in Jesus. And uh, as he prayed to him, there's sometimes he didn't feel like it, I guarantee you, with the things as he battled cancer but God promised a good result. And that good result may not have come on this side of eternity for him, but uh, listen, friends, his faith became sight this week and he's more alive now than he ever has been. God promises a good result, even if you don't see it until you see Jesus face to face. It's a good result. And he keeps all of his promises. that's, That's faith in a nutshell kind of breaking it down. And Jesus was amazed because the people in Nazareth, uh, they didn't believe God's word. When Jesus taught it, they're like, ah, I'm not buying that. I don't, who are you to teach me this? I don't buy it. They they certainly didn't act on it. If anything, they did the exact opposite. They didn't follow Jesus. They tried to shove him off a cliff at at one point. No matter how I feel, because God promises a good result. they demonstrated a lack of faith and it, it least God's power in their life both to save them and to heal them. Jesus was amazed by their lack of faith. I, again, I ask, what, what are you amazed by? What are you amazed by? What are you amazed with? See, when, when I have a lack of faith and I'm amazed not with Jesus but with, with the good things that he might do for me, uh, I make Jesus into a genie in the bottle. And I rub the lamp and he pops out and grant me my three wishes. I'll take this, this, and this. But, but faith says, no, it's not about me. Jesus, it's all about you. And here's what I request. Here's what I would desire. But in any case, I'll still follow you no matter how I feel because I know you're in control. I know you promise a good result. I know you're saving me. And, and friends, Jesus Desires for you and for me and for us to be people of faith, to believe his word and act on it, even when it's not popular, because he promises a good result. Well, I, I mentioned Jesus is amazed twice in scripture. We've seen one, the lack of faith of the people in Nazareth, but the other time is in Matthew chapter eight. In Matthew chapter eight, the other time that we read that Jesus is amazed, check this out. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, A centurion came forward to him. A centurion was a Roman official. Uh, He was in charge of of at least 100 men. That's where the name centurion comes from. Uh, He he came forward to Jesus appealing to him, Lord, my servant, he's lying paralyzed at home. He's suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I'll I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. He was amazed and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one else, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. The centurion's faith, he believed God's word. He believed that uh, Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus could speak and it would happen. He acted upon He went to Jesus, even demonstrated his faith and said, hey, you don't, you don't even need to come. You can just speak. I know that's true and I trust that. No matter how he felt, I think maybe in his heart he would have thought, yeah, it probably would be better. I'd feel a little better if he just came. But he still trusted him and Jesus promised a good result and he gave him one, didn't he? So basically it boils down to this. Jesus is amazed by two things, faith and lack thereof faith and lack thereof which means by the way that uh, for every one of us whether you're a person whose faith is in Jesus or claims to be or not if you're just here we're glad you're here but you need to know that then by association there Jesus is amazed by you and he's either amazed then by your faith or by your lack of it Friends, if you haven't trusted Jesus, man, it is the best decision you can ever make with your life. Your life won't necessarily get better, by the way. It might actually get a lot harder, but it's the best thing you can do because God promises a good result. When you trust Jesus, uh, all the self-help things in the world uh, will never help you, but Jesus comes and he makes you new. He makes you a, a brand new creation. And you can be amazed with who he is, that there's nothing better than him And he he makes you new. And one day, even if life is hard your rest of the time on this earth, one day, listen, he keeps all of his promises and he will keep that promise to you to redeem you and save you and make you his completely for eternity. Let me pray.